Hi, this is Greer, your host for Femammal, the podcast that holds space for women to explore what it means to live well in our bodies and celebrates moving through this world as female mammals. What is Femammal, you ask, and why is that the title of my podcast? Well, Femammal is slang for a female mammal, and it's the title for this podcast because we're going to have a series of conversations with awesome, insightful women about what it means to be embodied as a female mammal, how we can flourish from living from that standpoint, and what is deeply joyful about this way of being. And if any of that makes you wrinkle your nose a little because you don't love your body, or you feel like being born a woman has been a burden, or you have had so many health struggles that it doesn't feel like there's much to celebrate, then keep listening because you are in exactly the right place. Those hangups have been my own hangups. And this podcast is the culmination of a decades-long personal journey to figure out what's so great about being embodied as a female mammal and how to live in a way that works with what I've got instead of against it. This is not something that our society wants to help us with. We've been born into a post-industrial, capitalistic, patriarchal world that does not value our natural rhythms, the needs of our female bodies, or our distinctive gifts as embodied women. Almost everything that is distinctive about womanhood is treated as an aberration or an inconvenience by our society. Let me give you three examples. Example number one. Scientists avoid using women as research subjects when doing some clinical trials for new medications because they view our hormonal cycles or our birth control choices as interfering with the objectivity of their studies. This means that dosages do not get tailored to women's needs and side effects or complications unique to women get dismissed or understudied. Example number two. Menstrual cycles are treated as something to be ignored or at the most joked about, rather than something to be accommodated or even celebrated in school and the workplace. Women who have significant premenstrual symptoms or severe cramping or heavy bleeding on a monthly basis are not given the time and resources to address that because it would be seen as cyclically disruptive to the uniform daily rhythms of the workplace. Example number three. Women aren't even given any time off to birth babies or recover from childbirth in any systematic way in the United States. There are no laws that mandate maternity leave across the board for birthing women. Some employers offer parental leave as a special benefit, but it is not seen as a right within our society. And many women who do use employer-provided maternity leave or partially paid time off through FMLA are treated with resentment by their colleagues. I am sure that you can think of many more examples of moments when our society treated you principally as a cog in the capitalistic machine and dismissed your needs as an inconvenience rather than a living, breathing female mammal whose natural rhythms and needs deserve to be honored. We have been socialized to adhere to this relentless post-industrial rhythm and to tune out our body's messages, and it has been to the detriment of our health and happiness. But beyond these toxic cultural forces, we each have a story, 
a particular experience of how it has felt to be in our bodies and how that leaves us feeling about our womanhood. A lot of us have some conflicted feelings rooted in hard experiences. I want to share with you where my sense of struggle comes from so that you can understand how hard won my joy is. One of the pillars of this podcast is celebration, but I pledge to never constrict a challenging experience by trying to tie it up in a neat bow. We are not here for the ribbons and bows. I think I've always had ambivalent feelings about my womanhood. It probably started in elementary school when adults were constantly asking me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would respond with appropriate aspirations, like an astronaut or the president of the United States. But the problem was virtually all of the adult women in my life were full-time stay-at-home mothers with just a handful of career women who inevitably worked in nurturing professions, such as teachers, nurses, or doctors. So what do you want to be when you grow up didn't feel like a genuine question. It felt like it had a foregone conclusion predetermined by my gender. Then I hit middle school and high school, which brought the trauma of puberty. I don't think puberty has to be traumatizing, but it was for me. I was given very little education about the changes I was about to go through because like a lot of people, I was raised in a culture that treated sexual bodies, especially female bodies, as a source of shame. So when my body started changing in ways that no one had warned me about, I experienced a feeling of consternation. More saliently for this podcast, my first period also brought with it all of the symptoms of endometriosis, an extremely painful gynecological condition. From the beginning, I was experiencing debilitatingly painful period cramps, which could leave me curled up in the fetal position, sobbing for hours on the verge of vomiting from the pain. I actually turned green and collapsed from period pain at church one Sunday morning when I was a teenaged altar server in the middle of mass in front of the whole congregation. The wild part is that my primary reaction at the time was to feel humiliated by the event instead of to demand help for my pain. We'll talk more about endometriosis in a future episode, but for now, it's enough to understand that at the age of 13, it left me feeling like puberty had hijacked my body and that overnight I had become this weak, powerless victim of my hormones. The idea that I had at least three decades of this cyclical pain ahead of me filled me with unrelenting horror. In my 20s, the big struggle was the reactions of others to my adult female body and how hard it was to navigate the world as a young, attractive woman. Nothing had prepared me for the gamut I had to run every day, just walking down the street or showing up to work. Sexual harassment was not something that we discussed regularly in any detail at home or at school, and no one had helped me figure out strategies for dealing with it. I regularly got catcalled followed, groped, or had lewd commentary directed at me both by total strangers on the street and by clients and even colleagues in my workplaces. This was long before the hashtag MeToo movement, so I didn't fully understand how prevalent behavior like this was. For a long time, I blamed my body and I blamed myself for these interactions. 
I thought it was because I'm tall and thin, and if I could just make myself less conspicuous by dressing in baggy, sloppy clothes, chopping my hair short, and eschewing makeup, maybe it would stop. Or I blamed myself for the career I chose, assuming that this was somehow unique to my professional setting. Instead, over time, I realized that this is something that all women battle, regardless of our shape and size, how we choose to dress and present ourselves, or our career choices. The inevitability of it all was almost more frustrating. And now here we are at my 30s, when the rubber really hits the road, and I have no choice but to face up to what the past three decades have done to my self-conception. Because in my early 30s, I finally met a wonderful man, and I asked him out, and we really hit it off. We realized that we shared our most important values, we had tons of fun together, and we made an amazing team. Everything about life was just better with him in it. So I asked him to marry me, and he said, of course. So six months later, we were married and trying to have sex for the first time, and it's actually impossible. It's not working at all, and I'm in excruciating pain, and I'm so confused. After about a month of trying and failing and feeling like we must be crazy, I started my health journey to figure out what had gone so terribly wrong. It turns out that ignoring those symptoms of endometriosis for two decades was a bad idea, And now I know I have a whole smorgasbord of health conditions like pelvic floor dysfunction, vulvodynia, vaginismus, dyspareunia, premenstrual dysphoria, like length disparity, and even an autoimmune condition. Again, we can talk about what these mean in a later episode, but suffice it to say that I had systemic pain in my vulva, my vagina, and my pelvis, and that penetrative sex was off the menu. Part of me was frozen in horror that something like this could happen, and no one had ever warned me. But the rest of me channeled all my newlywed energy into trying to listen to my body for the first time in my life and give it what it needed to heal and to be healthy. I found a gynecologist for the first time in my life. This took several tries. But I eventually found a team of gynecologists who helped me pursue the best medical options for my situation. I sought out the guidance of a cycle doula who helped me connect to the best healthcare providers for my health goals. I dove into pelvic floor physical therapy. If you've never heard of that, we will definitely be talking about it. I tried out acupuncture for the first time. I went on an intense anti-inflammatory diet, completely overhauling the way I eat. I started incorporating more vitamins and herbs into my routine. I shifted my exercise patterns, and I got more sleep. I talked openly about my problems with a widening circle of women, and every time I did, I met acceptance and recognition and realized that so many other women have similar struggles but haven't felt free to bring them up due to social taboos or stigmas. I even published an article about my experience in America Magazine, and to this day, women still track me down because of that article and seek to connect over shared experiences. I'll link to that article in the show notes if you want to read more. 
slowly through all these interventions and through a gradual shift of attitude, I started experiencing real improvements in my quality of life. I experienced less period pain. I had fewer inflammatory symptoms. My moods stabilized, I had more energy, and a more positive outlook. I could use tampons comfortably, and I was even able to tolerate a pap smear screening for the first time in a decade. I didn't get to where I wanted to be with sex, but I learned to celebrate my victories rather than live with a sense of failure. Most of all, I learned that I am worth it. I am worthy of this loving attention that I have paid to the needs of my body, and I can continue to listen attentively to the language of the body and adjust to meet my needs as they change and develop over time. This is the foundation for health and happiness. I cannot express how much joy this gives me. It is simultaneously so simple and so miraculous to be able to stand in a place of peace with my body, of meeting my needs, of setting myself up for success, of allowing myself to flourish by living in harmony with my natural rhythms instead of struggling against them. I want to share that joy with you and open up a dialogue with other women to magnify the wisdom that we as women share because I am healthier and happier today thanks to countless women in healthcare professions who served me with their skills and because of the women I found to confide in and wonder with until I could finally view my body with curiosity instead of judgment and gratitude instead of resentment. It is still a struggle some days. Sometimes I'll have an unexpected pain flare and suddenly doubt myself and all of the good work I've put in or I'll look back on the last three decades and feel a twinge of sadness over what I've gone through, what I might miss out on because of it, and the fact that I didn't get help sooner. That is why I'm driven to share these conversations with you and cultivate a wider community of women who openly reflect on our lives in this way. Connecting with other women through media about what it means to flourish in this world embodied as women is incredibly healing for me. It keeps my momentum moving forward. Now for some caveats and acknowledgements. I'm a heterosexual cisgender female. I love and respect my lesbian, bisexual, trans, and queer sisters out there in the podverse, but I know that I am not speaking adequately to your experience. I'm speaking from my experience, and most of my conversation partners during season one are also speaking from a straight experience. I still hope that these themes resonate for you. I have a big sense of solidarity with the LGBTQ community, especially after everything I've gone through, but I know that doesn't make me a part of the LGBTQ community. I would love to hear your feedback, and I hope that future seasons can bring more voices and more perspectives into the mix. I need to start with what I know most deeply in my own body before I broaden that conversation. I'm also a practicing Catholic, and I hold a master's degree in divinity, so I bring a strong pastoral sensibility to the work that I do. But I am not here to preach about the Catholic Church's teachings on gender, human sexuality, marriage, or family. Most of those doctrines have been developed, promulgated, and enforced by ordained celibate men. 
This podcast is about elevating the voices of women and what women know in our own bodies. I want to allow women's experiences to stand as authoritative in their own right. This podcast is not ideological. To me, that means that women's experiences do not need to add up to either a defense of nor a repudiation of any set of ideas taught by a group of authority figures. I hope we are able to learn from one another's experiences without needing to vindicate or excoriate any set of doctrines, whether religious or political. This is a conversation open to all, regardless of your religious, political, or ideological convictions. I am not a healthcare professional. I am not offering medical advice. And when I do interview healthcare professionals, they are not offering medical advice either. If you hear something in this podcast that raises questions about your own health, please make an appointment with a healthcare provider who can listen to your story. I am here to hold space for women to explore what it means to live well in our bodies and to celebrate our hard-won joy. I am also not here to try to define femininity, nor to inflict stereotypes onto our experiences of womanhood. I am not preoccupied with any of the shoulds that society imposes on women as far as self-presentation, gender roles, professions, what is attractive, nor any other such stereotype. I do not care whether you love wearing dresses, hate wearing makeup, or your favorite color is pink. I am not here for the stereotypes. To try to make this distinction between stereotypes and real first-person experience, I'm mostly going to avoid the word femininity and stick with the term womanhood. Every woman's experience is unique and worthy of attention. I am so grateful to each woman who has accepted my invitation to conversation for this podcast. These women have shared their wisdom, their struggles, and their joys in uniquely eloquent ways. I hope that as you listen, you find a sense of recognition, the moment of relief when you realize that someone else's embodied experience resonates with your own. At the same time, I know that you won't agree with every conclusion that a guest has come to. Or you might try one of their approaches and find that it doesn't work for you. That's okay. One of the remarkably beautiful things about being women is that we know that we each experience the rhythms and realities of womanhood in our own particular way. And it leads each of us to our own beliefs, practices, and attitudes. I hope that by elevating the voices of women on this podcast, you are able to consider a more expansive view as you reflect on your own current beliefs, practices, and attitudes. If something doesn't resonate with you or doesn't work for you, please listen to it with curiosity and release it without judgment, holding onto only that which serves you well. Thank you for tuning in. The world is full of strong, wise women who stand in their power, and I can't wait to have conversations with some of them and to share those conversations with you. 
episodes are about 40 minutes long, and we will talk about everything from food to movement to hormonal cycles to careers to family and community to connecting with the seasons and our own natural rhythms. And yes, living with a variety of gynecological conditions. For season one, I pre-recorded the full season of episodes, and I will be dropping one episode every Thursday for you to enjoy. If you are inspired by these conversations, please share them with the other awesome women in your life, your friends, your sisters, your aunts, your nieces, whoever needs to hear this. I would love to hear your feedback, your questions, and your suggestions for future episodes. You can reach me by sending an email to femamilpodcast at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-A-M-M-A-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Huge gratitude to all the people who made this podcast possible, especially each of my conversation partners, my sister Dara, who developed Femamil's visual brand and helped with marketing, and my husband for all of his love and support. <laughs>